want to thank you for subscribing and listening in to our podcast today. Uh, please rate and review us. We would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor, you want more information about our church, text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will follow up with you. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, you can text GIVE to 903-586-6520 and click on the link and you will have the option of giving one time or on a regular basis. We would greatly appreciate your support and thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Well, if someone were to come up to you and say, I've got good news. And I've got bad news. What do you want to hear first? Bad, any bad news people first? Yeah, that's me for sure. And I don't know what your reasoning is, but mine is I'm, I'm hoping that the good news to follow will outweigh the bad, right? Sometimes that's the case, but, but not always. Let me give you a few examples. Bad news is during that terrible storm last night, a tree fell in your front yard and crushed your brand new car. Good news is you finally got that ugly looking tree out of your yard. Doesn't really work, does it? How about this one? The, the bad news is you're fired. Good news is you now have time to travel around the country, visit friends and family. Doesn't really work, does it? See, at times the good news does not cancel out the bad, but sometimes does. We're going to learn this morning that while there is bad news in God's message of salvation, there is also great news, and the great news far outweighs the bad. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You heard me right. We're taking a break from Luke for a moment, for a minute, to look at Ephesians. Not a better place to be on Reformation Day then Ephesians chapter 2. I said earlier in the service that over 500 years ago, 1517, Martin Luther posted a writing on the door at Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany that led to the great Protestant Reformation. And there were several key doctrines that were reintroduced during this time by Luther and other reformers that that the church at this time desperately needed to relearn. The church at this time had strayed from the core doctrines of Scripture. And so Luther and others, others like him, when they began to study the Scriptures, they went back to the Scriptures and they reintroduced these key doctrines. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we find several of these core doctrines of the faith. In this passage, we learn that salvation comes to us by God's grace alone. Sola gratia, that's the Latin, that's the Latin phrase from the Reformation. Through our faith alone, sola fide, in Christ alone, solus Christus, and we learn that we have been saved, we learn in Ephesians 2, for the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Paul is going to, to spell all that out for us clearly.
today in this text of Scripture. But, but first, he's going to leave with some bad news. Okay? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, amazing passage of Scripture, one of my favorite, favorites in the Bible. In the first half of this passage, though, Paul he is focused in on the bad news, the conflict in our story. And in the latter half of this, this passage, he is going to end with the resolve. Let's first look at the conflict. Begin by looking at verse 1 of Ephesians 2. Paul begins by saying, and you were dead. That's pretty bad news at the beginning, right? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul didn't hold back, does he? When it comes to the bad news, he, he comes right out with it, right up off the top. He begins this passage by describing our greatest problem in this life. The conflict is that, that the lost are dead because of sin. The lost are dead because of sin. Point number one. Look at it. Conflict. The lost are dead because of sin. We have said in the past that, that sin is man's greatest problem in this life and is the major conflict in this story. The lost, those without Christ, are dead because of sin. Now, what does Paul mean when he says dead here? Some people read this verse of Scripture and they argue with it. I'm not dead. Not true of me. Though, though I'm not trusting in Christ for salvation, I'm very much alive. Well, Paul is talking about Death in a spiritual sense. Scripture is clear that you can be living, breathing, doing, but if you are not in right relationship with God through Christ, you are not truly living. And, and get this, while Paul is talking about death in a spiritual sense, there is comparisons to be made between the two, between physical death and spiritual death. For example, in physical death, one is unable to respond in a physical way, no matter the incentive. Not even the tears and cries of your closest loved ones can bring you back from physical death. Spiritual death is similar. When one is dead in their trespasses and sins, they are in a fixed state with an inability to respond in a way that brings honor to God. Paul says to the believers of his day, you were dead spiritually. Spiritual zombies, death walkers, walking aimlessly through this life apart from and opposed to God with a complete inability to live for him. Now, there are differing degrees to this, right? There are differing degrees to the levels of depravity. We see it in our society just like if you were to look at a corpse, you would see varying levels of decay, right? Doesn't change the fact that they're all still dead. Same is true with us in a spiritual sense. Some of you hear that and you say, okay, Graham, we get it, you know? We get it. We're dead in sin. Why do you have to belabor this point? Because God belabors this point. There is hardly a place you can turn to in Scripture where you do not see sin and its effects. Sin is focused on from Genesis to Revelation. Sin is the greatest problem and the main conflict in God's story. 
which is why Paul focuses in on this in verses 2 through 4. Notice in these verses that Paul is reminding the believers of his day how they were prior to salvation. And he tells them before salvation, they walked with the world, they walked with the enemy, and they walked in the flesh. First he says, you walked with the world. Look at verse 2. Paul says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Paul reminds us here that the conflict in God's story, the conflict in our story, it precedes us. The course has already been set before we were in existence, right? We came in to a messed up story. When we entered into the world, when our portion of the story began, things were already broken. The world was, was, was maimed, marked with conflict. The conflict began early on. At the very beginning, we learn in Genesis 1 and 2, man had a very good beginning. He was created in God's image. Both male and female were in the image of God, created in right relationship with God, but it didn't take long for all of that to change. Just three chapters in, we learn that man rebels, sin enters into the world, ruins and wrecks God's perfect creation, and everyone who has come after Adam and Eve follow this pattern of sin and rebellion set apart from God. That is the way of the world. That is the course of this world, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.2. So the, the first characteristic of an unbeliever that Paul gives us here is they follow the course of this world. They walk in rebellion against God. Secondly, Paul says, not only did you walk in accordance with the world, you also walk with the enemy. Look at verse 2. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The, the prince of the power of the air here is a reference to Satan. Many of you know that. In God's story, we learn that before people rebelled against God, angels rebelled against God. Angels are created beings. Some of them rebelled just like us, and one of them was Satan. Satan was an angel of God who led and is leading a spiritual rebellion against God, and his influence is real. It's real. We see him mentioned. Several key points in God's story of redemption. Think about it. We see him in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? We see him in the wilderness tempting Jesus. We see him entering into Judas as he betrays Jesus. We are told that he is fighting, he has fought, will continue to fight and rebel against God until he meets his end. So we have a spiritual enemy in Satan, and we know he plays a part in our struggle with sin. And his influence is seen and it's felt today, right? He plays a key part and is behind a lot of the influence that we see in our world today that, that tempts us to step out on our own, apart from and opposed to God, and question God's word and doubt his goodness. That originated with Satan. John says that in 1 John 3, 8. He says the devil has been sinning since the beginning. He has been in rebellion against God long before any of us. And Paul says, prior to salvation, we walked with him in sin. We were enticed by him. We were influenced by him. We sided with him and against God. 
So we walked with the world. We walked with the enemy. Paul also says we walked in the flesh. We walked in the flesh. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen, the reason we are so quick to follow the course of this world, the reason we are so influenced by the prince of the power of the air is because deep down we want to rebel. In our flesh, we want to rebel. You know why people do the evil things that they do? Because they want to. They try to play the blame game. You hear it all the time. We blame what's outside of us instead of what's inside of us. It's this person. It's that person's fault. Jesus says what's in your heart comes out of your sweet lips. It influences what you do. The problem is inside of us. We'll say the devil made me do it. Adam and Eve did it, right? This woman, you gave me, God. She's to blame. You're to blame. It's the devil's fault. God punishes the man and the woman, right? The reason why people do the evil things that they do is because they want to. We must come to this understanding about ourselves. Man's heart is set against God. Man's deepest desire is to rebel. We must come to the realization that nothing good dwells in us that is in our flesh. And because that's the case, there are consequences to the way in which we are and what we say and do. Look at verse 3 again. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul here gives us the great consequence for our sin. He tells us that that those whose, whose sins have not been covered, those who do not belong to God, those not trusting in Christ for salvation, those living by the passions of their flesh, those carrying out the desires of the body and mind, they are under God's wrath. He says, that's where you were, believers. Non-believers, that's where you are. Here's another problem. There is nothing that we can do on our own to remove our sin. Just like a leopard can't get rid of its spots, we cannot get rid of our sin. Because sin is not just the wrong things that we do, it's, it's at the core of who we are. We are by nature... Sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And that includes every one of us. There's only been one perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it here. He says, you are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So again, all people without exception, are born with this problem. We are dead in sin. We follow the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. We live in the passions of our flesh. We we carry out the desires of the body and the mind and are all at our core by nature children of wrath. Folks, that's bad news. That is terrible news. That's the conflict. 
in God's gospel story. We are dead because of sin. And if the story just stopped there, we might as well just close these doors and go do something else. No need to be here and sing songs of praise. If the story ends there, we would be in bad shape, wouldn't we? We would, we would be without a hope in the world, but praise the Lord, it doesn't end there. Praise the Lord that He is speaking to believers in the past tense. Am I right, believers? He is saying, you, you were this way. Paul is, is writing to the believers of his day in Ephesians. And actually, we, we often think he's just writing to the Christians at Ephesus, but this is believed to be a circular letter, which meant probably Ephesus was the last place this letter landed, okay? But it was meant to circulate. That's why in the book of Ephesians, you don't have a lot of specific circumstances addressed in Ephesians like Paul would do, like to his letter to Corinth and Philippi, because it was, it was meant to circulate. Paul is writing to the, the believers of his day. He is writing to the believers of his day, and he is reminding them of what Christ has done for them through his person and work so that they would walk worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. But there is application to be made here by non-believers as well. If Christ is not Lord of your life, this is not your past, this is your present. Okay? And that's bad news. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Paul transitions, Ephesians 2, 4. He says, but God. Great phrase, right? Underline that. Praise God for that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Hallelujah. Let's first focus in on those first two words, but God. Notice the chapter begins with and you. And you, nothing good. Nothing good. And you were this way, dead in sin, Walk with the world. Walk with the enemy. Walked in the flesh. Children of wrath. Paul says, and you are this way. And then in verse 4 he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ. Though we were dead because of our sinfulness, God, because of his great mercy and love, has brought us back from death. We're spiritual zombies, death walkers, dead to sin. But God brought us back from death, made us a new creation, raised us up from death, and he has raised us up to walk in newness of life. That is great news, isn't it, believers? That's the great resolve. That's the great solution to God's story. Next point. We're dead because of sin, but we're saved because of God. Believers are alive because of God. We are saved. We are believers. We are, we are right with God because of God. Three things I want you to notice here about our salvation that we learn from the latter half of this passage. Number one, first, we are saved by God's grace. End of verse 5 through verse 7. Paul says, by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Him, with Christ and seated us with Him, with God, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice something that's crystal clear here. This work that God has done for us, the salvation he has accomplished on our behalf is in no way, shape, or form contingent on you or me deserving it. By grace, you have been saved. Now, if you've been a part of a Bible church, Bible-believing church for any period of time, you know the biblical definition of grace. It's God's unmerited and undeserved favor. I like this acronym. Look at this up here on the screen. I've shared this with you before. I got this from one of our children's books in the bookstore. This is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unearned. It's a gift from God. It's not based on our deserving. Folks, we did not move God in any way to save us. Do you realize that? God didn't look down on us and go, oh my goodness, these people are just so so wonderful, I just can't help myself. No. Surely you don't believe that. When Paul makes mention... Of God's motivation for saving us, he doesn't say one good thing about us. But God. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By his grace you've been saved. Look down at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What motivated God to save us? His mercy, His great love, His grace, and His kindness. That's what moved Him to work in us. We have been saved by God because of who God is. We have been saved in spite of who we are. Our salvation is in no way, shape, or form dependent upon our Deserving. That's what Scripture teaches. Now, in Luther's day, while the church taught that people were sinners, we talked about this earlier, there are sinners in need of salvation. And salvation is a work that God does. They taught that, that we work with God to make ourselves right with Him. It's faith plus good works that lead to salvation. They had what were called works of satisfaction. They, they taught that, that in addition to faith, in addition to that, you perform these certain tasks and you can be restored to God and, again, be in right standing with Him. And, and Luther committed himself to those works of satisfaction. He would fast and pray for hours and hours and hours. He would go into his father confessors and he would confess sins for six to eight hours. And then he would come out and he would remember something he forgot. And he would just plunge into deeper and deeper despair. He found them very unsatisfying. It was not until he began to study the Word of God that he came to realize we are dead in our sin, spiritually dead, enemies of God. There's nothing we can do to change it. But God has provided for us what He requires of us. While we are dead in our trespasses and sin, helpless and hopeless on our own, God has made a way for us to be made right with Him through Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Grace. 
Notice also that Paul, he not only stresses the, the, the great mercy and grace that God has shown us, but he explains the, the great work he has, he has done for us, that God has done for us through Christ. He says that Christ has made us alive. He has raised us up. He has seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. First, he's made us alive. Paul says, while you were dead in sin, God did something about it. He intervened. He made you alive with Christ. If you have been saved, you are alive with Christ. Paul's point here is the same power that, that, that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises us as believers up from the dead as well. That's power, resurrection power that we have. God did that for us believers. He raised us up by his power to walk in newness of life with him. But there's more. Look at verse 6. Paul says, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What Paul says here is truly amazing. When God saved us, he not only raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life, he gave us a seat, a place in the heavenly places with Christ and glory with him, in Christ. In the same way, Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. It's, it's the same for us because we are in Christ. What's true of Christ is true of all of us who are trusting in Him alone for salvation. We experience all the benefits that Christ experienced because our lives are hid in His. It's amazing. We are treated like Jesus because we are in Him. Verse 6, Paul is speaking in the past tense. Look at that. He says, God has raised us up with him. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, what does Paul mean when he says he's already done this? He's already raised us up, seated us with Christ. Some of you are reading that. and You're like, I don't know about you, but I'm right here on earth. In, in this broken and fallen world. Though that's the case, our, our destination is with God. It's secure in Him. And get this, that is where our minds, our thoughts, our hopes, our desires, our dreams are to be in glory. Our future is secure with God through Christ. It's a done deal. If you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Though we are here in this dark and dead world, we are alive in Christ and our life is in heaven with God in Him. Now, why would God do this for us? Why save us? Why redeem us? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. According to this verse, the reason God did this for us was to showcase the immeasurable riches of His grace. God wants to be seen as a God of grace. He has gone to great lengths throughout the work in His world and to show in His Word that He is a God of grace. He, he wants this to be made known. Paul says that's the reason God has done this. The reason he saved us from sin and death is because he wants to be seen. He wants to be praised. He wants to be served. He wants to be worshipped 
for the kind and gracious God that he is. So that's the, that's the first point Paul makes here about our salvation. He makes it very clear that we are saved by God's grace. He also stresses the fact that we are saved through our faith. We are saved through our faith. Salvation is by God's grace alone through our faith alone in Christ alone. Look at verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So notice here, there is a response from us, right? Paul says this very clearly. You are saved through faith. There is a response that is required. And some of you are reading that, and you may be scratching your heads thinking, well, I thought you said earlier that salvation is solely a work of God. But it sounds like here that we play a part. How does that work? Well, let's look at it again. Verses 8 and 9. Paul says, by God's grace, by grace, by God's unmerited and undeserved favor, you have been saved through faith. And then look at the next line. This is not your own doing. You know what that means in the Greek? This is not your own doing. Salvation is not a work of man. It's a work of God, believers. Here's how it's explained in the scriptures. First, God works in us, and the work that he does in us, it works. It works. It awakens us to faith, and we respond by trusting in him. So God is sovereign in our salvation, yet scripture also teaches that we are responsible. Bible teaches both. We are to affirm both, and how all that plays out is a mystery. It doesn't go against reason. It's not contradictory. We're talking about two separate things when we talk about sovereignty and human responsibility. It doesn't go against reason, but it goes far beyond our reasoning. But Scripture teaches both. So that's the second point Paul makes about our salvation. Not only are we saved by God's grace, but we're also saved through our But there is a third and final point Paul makes when it comes to our salvation. Very important. We are saved for good works. Good works are not the root of our salvation, but they are most definitely the fruit. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here Paul gives us the reason we've been saved. He says here, we have been saved for good works. We have been saved so that we would in turn live our lives for God. That's Paul's point here. He says, you were saved, you were made new in Christ Jesus for good works. You were saved so that you would in turn follow God and live your life for Him. Did you know that God has selfish reasons? For redeeming you and me. He does. He has done it so that we would live our lives for Him. So that we would bring glory to His name with our lives. That's the reason why He's created you. And by the way, it's okay for God to be focused on Himself and be self-centered. Only God. Because if He was focused on anything else, it would be lesser than who He is. That's idolatry, right? No, God is focused on Himself. 
and His glory. And He created us to live our lives for Him. That's the reason He he redeems and restores us so that we would in turn worship Him and live for Him in both word and deed. Paul says this very, very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Listen to this. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. That's another Reformation principle right there that was reintroduced during the time of the Protestant Reformation. Soli Deo Gloria. To the glory of God alone. Believers, we are not our own. We have been bought by God. We've been set apart by Him. We have been saved by God. We have been saved from God. And we have been saved for God. All of those. All of those. So with this truth in mind, here's the clear and simple application for you and me today. If we've been saved, if you've been restored, redeemed by God through Christ for good works, then the proper response for us is that we should love Him and live our lives for Him. First and foremost. Believers, that right there is the gospel. While we were dead because of sin, God has made us, God has made us alive by Christ through faith in Him for Himself. MacArthur provides a great summary of this passage. You can take a picture of it. Next slide. He says, We are saved from sin to life by God's grace through our faith unto good works. That's a great summary right there of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and a great summary of the gospel. Have you responded to this message today? Have you responded by forsaking your sin? Are you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're listening online, and you have been made truly aware this morning of your sinfulness and your desperate need of salvation. Listen. While this passage, again, is written in the past tense because Paul is writing to the Christians of his day, I said earlier, if you are not trusting in Christ for your salvation, this is not your past, this is your present. This is where you are right now. If you have yet to give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dead. In trespasses and sins, you are following the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience is at work in you. You are living by the passions of your flesh. You are carrying out the desires of the body and your mind. And you are by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is your present if Christ is not Lord of your life. And if left to yourself, you would remain in this lost and hopeless state. The good news of the gospel message is that you can move from darkness to light, from death to life today by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in Christ alone. I pray that this is you, that you would turn from your sin today, trust in God's Son alone for your salvation and be saved. Let's pray together.